reading of God's Word. We're in the book of Romans. Those of you not familiar with Scripture, Romans is near the back of the Bible after all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, you'll find this big book called Romans, a book of Paul. Today we start in Romans 7, starting in verse 1. Paul's been talking about what it means to live in grace. And now listen to what he says about said grace in the law. He starts out, Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? Thus a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. That's great news worth listening to. Glory to God, you may be seated. So we all have mixed feelings when it comes to the rules, don't we? We have rules in our city, our state, our nation. We have rules at school. We have rules in sports. We even have rules where we live. Some of you may know that uh, my family lives in a development, uh, a big development here in Union County. And as a part of being in this development, you have to be a part of the Homeowners Association and agree to live by certain rules in order to live there. And uh, we like the fact there are these rules that keeps our neighborhood looking sharp. To live in our community, you must agree to keep your yard looking pretty good. You must keep your trash cans on the curb when it's supposed to be on the curb and take them off when they're not supposed to be on the curb. And you must agree not to leave a jacked-up car or open uh, uh, junk refrigerators on your front yard. Uh, you can't do things like that in our um, development. Now, the wonderful thing about the new rules is they come in really handy when others are breaking the rules. Last year, the rules came back to get us and haunt us as a family. We received an unexpected warning from our neighborhood association on how we had broken the rules. And what was that rule that we broke? Well, apparently, uh, one of our family members parked the car on the curb, but not only on the curb, but in the grass on the curb. And in our association... You cannot park on the grass on the road. Now, I have to admit to you, I didn't realize this was a rule, so when I got it, I was a little frustrated to get this. And I got started to grumble and complain a bit, little bit, which wasn't exactly the best response. And I was struck by the fact that I wanted others to abide by the rules, but when they replied to me, in a due fashion. I wasn't exactly excited about it. 
In other words, I had a real ambivalent relationship with the rules. Well, today in Romans 7, we're going to look at a church that was struggling in its understanding and, dare I say, its relationship with the rules, more specifically the law of God. And the key question Paul is going to address in our text today is really this, what is your relationship with the law of God, especially if you're a Christian? And this is a crucial question to answer regarding your daily walk with the Lord. Now, the book of Romans has the law discussed throughout the whole book. It's everywhere from chapter 1, chapter 2, all the way through is this running conversation about the law. But here in chapter 7, Paul's going to kind of focus like a laser beam on the law itself and its role in our lives as Christians. And using the law of God... Uh, Paul understood was, can be a confusing thing among us as Christians. It was then in the Roman church, it is now in today's church. And so Paul states and opens really this chapter by addressing the confusion. He says in verse 1, Do you not know, brothers, I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Do you not know? Don't you understand? Do you understand how this works in your life is what he's getting at. And the reason Paul is bringing this up at this point in the, in the whole book is he's picking up a conversation that he started back in chapter 6 about the law. Look back in chapter 6 real briefly at verse 14. He says this really powerful thing about sin, grace, and the law. He says this, For sin will have no dominion over you, that is, as a Christian... Since you are not under law, but under grace. You're not under law, but under grace. He's saying, in other words, you no longer under the rule of law, which is connected also to the rule of sin that he was addressing in that place. Now, after he says you're not under law, but under grace, he takes a real quick break in chapter uh, verses 15 and following And he talks about the problem of people who would say, hey, I'm not under the law, but I'm under grace. That means I don't need to worry about what God says in his word. I can do whatever I want because I'm forgiven. I can do whatever I want. Now, This is a false Christianity, as Paul goes on to say, uh, where Jesus is effectively your savior, but he's not your Lord. Or as Owen Strachan says, it's the... I'm broken and I can't get up religion. Remember the commercials with the older lady or man and and they fall and they just can't get themselves up and they talk on their little thing and says, I've fallen and I can't get up. Well, that's what these people were saying in their walks with Jesus. Like, "I'm, I'm a sinner and I can't get up. But Paul is saying throughout this text, we are actually as Christians empowered to get up and to follow him in an active way, even using the law properly. Now, we're going to get to that as we get further into chapter 7. But Paul is not just finished there. He's addressed then the relationship we can have with the law. As often we say, I don't need it. We eradicate it out of our lives, if you will. That's called license. I've fallen and I can't get up. But in chapter 7, Paul shifts the conversation back to the question of the law. 
And he says that we are not slaves to sin and license, for example, as, uh, as, as he says in chapter 6, but we are also aren't under the law. It, we're not under its binding power. It is not our master. We are not its slaves, is what he's saying. Now, let's clarify real quickly what does Paul mean by the law? Well, he's alluding to the moral law that shows up in its forms in the first chapters of, uh, of uh, Genesis chapters 2 and 3. But also, he's really getting specifically at the Ten Commandments that Richard read earlier. The law of God that shows up as the very foundation of morality itself. See, Paul is now addressing the moralists, the legalists, who are in the Roman church, who, while the licentious type said, hey, Jesus forgave me, lighten up, all the legalists were saying, hey, you need to get your act together and discipleship, discipleship tighten up. He's addressing these in particular. And in the process, Paul is making a point about the law in, Rome, in Romans 7, verse 1, that is very important to remember whenever you got that tighten-up impulse. And here's what he says. The law is binding on a person as long as he lives. What do we mean by that? Well, this is very important. When we use the law of God, like the Ten Commandments, we need to remember that the law of God applies as a measure upon us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 and one quarter days a year. And that is in effect until the day we die. We are under the law, if you will, if we are yielding to it in and of itself and by ourselves. In other words, if we choose to make the law the reference point for our lives and for our relationship with God, you've got to remember some very basic things. The law works this way. It says, do this or die. Do it right every time in thought, word, or deed or die. That's what the law says. And in fact, it gets even harder. In Galatians 3.10, it says, All who rely on works of the law are cursed. And why is that? It's because nobody here, not even and especially me, gets the law right every single time in thought, word, and deed, every hour of the day, every day of the week, every week of the year, for the rest of our lives. Nobody, nobody comes up close to that. Galatians 2.16 clarifies further when Paul says no one will be justified by the works of law. That is, you can't somehow say, well, if I just work hard enough at obeying God, then he'll like me. Nah, nobody can do it because nobody can obey God enough to satisfy his standards. Remember, our standards for the law are actually pretty low. Oh, if I just get a little bit right a little bit of the time, that's okay. But God's standard is 100% of the time. That's what he calls us for. So what he's saying here is this, and this is an application. Anytime you use the moral law, even the Ten Commandments, to make yourself feel more moral or more right with God, especially over and against others, 
That is a dangerous place for a sinner. That is a dangerous place for a sinner. The relationship to the law for those who would highlight the law as their point of reference for living for God is that you are in a dangerous place as a sinner because you never get it right. Paul goes on to illustrate this in verses 2 and 3 of our text with a marriage example. He talks about how two people get married and, and by covenant with God are tied together. Both people are bound together in their covenant with God of marriage. That's how we understand marriage and covenant. And the only way that covenant can be cut in marriage is by virtue of death. Death. One spouse dies while the other is living. And if that is the case, then the living spouse is free to remarry. But as long as one, both spouses are alive, they both are under the law, whether they feel like it or not. So, what that means is a spouse can't simply autonomously say, I'm done and leave a marriage, as he says in this text. You can't go off and get married to another without just cause. And Paul's illustration is really getting at this. Every human being that is born under the law is effectively married to the law. That's all of us here. When we are born, we're born in Adam, under the law. And we have a lifetime of living under that law. And as a result... For us to get away from that law, something's got to give spiritually. Something's got to change in that relationship. Now, Paul is saying this. You can't treat the law like a convenience marriage. You can't try to even treat the law like a salad bar religion. And here's what salad bar religion is like. Oh, I like this law. I'm going to work real hard on this to improve myself. I'm going to work on this for a while and then say, I'm tired of dealing with that. I'm going to go to this thing over here. No, all the law is always in effect in our lives. The Ten Commandments are always in effect for our lives. And we will have to answer for that in our lives under the law whether we realize it or not. In other words, if you live by the law, or born under the law, you will die by the law. In fact, Galatians 3, what was read earlier, says, Curses everyone who does not abide by all things in the law. All things written. So there it is. The standard for God's law is 100% all the time. And that's what Paul is talking about. And when he talks about how cursed we can be, he's saying, look, that's your destiny if you don't keep the law 100% of the time, all day long. That's your destiny. And why is he doing this? Why is he being so relentless with the law? He wants to show us our inability to obey it. None of us here has the ability to obey the law in our own efforts. None of us here can handle the law on ourselves. And so verses 1 through 3 are very sobering verses for us. Paul's not done. 
In verses, verse 4, Paul turns the illustration of our marriage to the law to an analogy of hope regarding the law. He tells us in verse 4 an extraordinary thing. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. This is great stuff, guys. This turn in the discussion is very powerful. And that's because Paul tells us how our relationship as Christians to the law has changed through Christ. Paul says this radical thing, we're dead to the law. We're dead to it. Meaning we are no longer bound to the guilt and condemnation, even the cursedness that goes with those who cannot keep the law or are unable to keep it. And why is that? Well, he tells us why. It's the body of Christ. It's the gospel. And the gospel says some really profound things about Christ in his body and what he did relative to the law. Galatians 4 says Jesus was born under the law. He was born under the law just like you and me. But the extraordinary thing about his life is he lived his life perfectly and obeyed God's law in perfection. All the Ten Commandments, the Great Commandments, everything. What's extraordinary about that is sometimes we think Jesus came to get rid of the law so that we could do our own thing. But Jesus himself said, hey, I did not come to abolish the law in Matthew 5. No, he says, I came to fulfill it. He embraced the law that he was born under and lived perfectly under that law without sin. Not only that, Jesus also was resurrected from the dead. He overcame the curse of the law in death through his resurrection. That gives us hope that we are not bound to death, but through Christ have the promise of life after death. But probably the most premier thing that Christ did in his body relative to the law was that he died on the cross. He took the penalty of our sin upon himself at the cross and he bled for us so that we might no longer live under guilt and condemnation as the law so closely directs at our hearts. In other words, Christ's life, death, and resurrection secure our forgiveness and secure our justification before God in the courtroom of God. What you may not realize is how significant this is in the, the whole scope of Christian history and even the Bible. Richard read earlier the gospel from Galatians 3, which said this interesting thing. It said, cursed is anyone that's hung from a tree. You realize in the ancient Near East, when someone would do something really bad, I mean really bad, like rape, pe- rape a woman, like kill people and just cold blood, you know what they would do? They would take that person outside of the town, they'd take stones, and they'd carry out capital punishment on them. Kill them. After they carried out capital punishment for the horrible things they did, they would hang them from a tree in symbolic measure to say, may you rot in hell. 
in a second death before God and His judgment for what you did. You know what Scripture is saying in this text? With Christ and His body and what Galatians 3 says, it's saying when Jesus went on the cross, He became the worst murderer that ever lived. He became the worst adulterer that ever lived. He became the worst liar that ever lived. He became the worst idolater that ever lived for you and for me. This is what Scripture is teaching us about the glories of what Christ did on the cross for you and me so we might be forgiven. Do you realize that Jesus became those things and took hell the curse itself on himself for you and for me. The beauty of this is we can be forgiven. We talk about forgiveness regularly as church and as Christians, but how many times do we really own it that we have been forgiven? Because if you own it in your heart, it transforms everything. It changes the way you live, the way you think. Jesus Christ died for the worst things you've ever done in your life. And he bled the death that you and I deserve so that we would not have to live under the curse of the law anymore. Will you ponder that anew? He paid the penalty for you. Let me tell you why you need to ponder it. Verse 4 tells us that there is one result of Christ's death on the cross. And that result is this, that you may belong to another. Isn't that great language, belong to another? You know what that is, right? That's family language. If you feel alone in your sin, you feel broken, like even disconnected from God, what it's saying is you can be reconciled to God and be in a living relationship as a child of God because of Christ and what he's accomplished. You no longer have to live as an orphan making for yourself, trying to make life work with the law. You can live as a child. That's what he's saying in our text. You no longer belong to Satan. You belong to Christ. You no longer belong to yourself. You belong to Christ because you were bought with a price. We are children of God, and our personal relationship with God is a very real thing as a result of the cross for us. Verse 4 goes on to say there's a larger purpose. Verse 4 says, in order that uh, we are, uh, verse 4 says, we are, you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Now, we're going to talk more about this later, because some of you are going to think I'm saying the law doesn't apply anymore. That's not what I'm saying. You're going to need the law in a different way in order to bear fruit for God. We'll get to that later as we get into Romans. However, we are called to bear fruit for God. And fruit is something different than just playing by the rules. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. You see, what he's saying is we are saved from the law of sin and death, and we're saved to a life of fruit bearing. I mean, Genesis 1 begins with, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. That's our call 
in this life is to bear fruit. The interesting thing about this is Paul is really erasing any confidence we can have in our ability to obey the law. Let me explain. I have the privilege of uh, both counseling people and, yes, sometimes being in counseling myself for my own growth and health spiritually. And I'll tell you, whenever you counsel people, and even I've done this myself in counseling, it's always inevitable when confronted with a real issue in life, most men say the same thing, including me. I've done this. And here's what it is. After confronted with a real issue of sin in their lives, inevitably they say, what do I do? Give me the formula. Tell me what to do from Scripture. Now, positively, there's a good desire. If Scripture says you need to seek the Lord Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. But too often there is this tendency, and really what's being asked is this, give me a formula. Tell me what to do. Jesus is saying we need to get away from that. Where we're just looking to try and fix our lives with the law by us trying harder with the law. Instead, we're meant to go to Christ. That's where we bear fruit in Christ. Do you want to know how to correctly use the law of God? Don't look to the law as your Savior. Look as Christ to your Savior and then go to the law. That's an important distinction in how you use God's Word. Now, somebody may protest, given all this, and say, look, why? Why are we dead to the law? I mean, why are we dead to the law so we can bear fruit in this relationship with Christ? Is something flawed about the law of God? Well, Paul tells us about this very problem in verse 5 of our text. Look at this. He goes, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit unto death. What is Paul saying? Is the flaw in the law of God? Nope. Flaws in us. Flaws in our hearts and what we do with the law. It is how we handle the law even in our self-righteousness. Let me give you an example. If I, as a preacher, tell all of you today, go love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and your neighbor, by the way, includes people you don't know, and your enemy. And if I command you to, to do this and say, go do it, the law would be right and good. And would be in force. But as sure as I say it, none of us here can even come close to pulling that off. Not in the slightest bit. And you know why? We won't even move towards actually obeying it. Because the Holy Spirit hasn't changed our hearts. In fact, let me illustrate from a somebody in... Christian history, what our hearts do with that very same law. There was a great church father called Augustine, and he wrote one of the greatest biographies in history. It's called Confessions, and in his Confessions, he talks about this very problem in his own story and how he handled the law on his own. 
He was apparently out playing with some of his friends, and in a neighbor's yard, there was a pear tree. And as he went to the yard, he noticed the pear tree had pears all over it. He said he wasn't particularly hungry, but he wanted those pears. So he took them without asking. He stole them as a kid. And he said what brought him joy in stealing was his self-assertion. He's actually saying, I don't have to live under this rule or law of God. I could do whatever I want. And that's what happens with our hearts when we get a hold of the law. Even the call to love God with all we've got is we turn it upside down and use it for our own purposes. Augustine goes on to say, I became a problem to myself. And that's exactly what happens when we deal with the law. We become a problem to ourselves. That's what verse 5 says. We cannot handle the holy, perfect law of God. Our hearts are wicked and deceitful. Real Christianity, however, says this. While we don't naturally want to love God, Jesus can save us so we can love God. That's what real Christianity says. You need Christ to transform your heart and your life so you can love God appropriately. What we need, in other words, is a work of God on our heart. And verse 6 is all about that. Look at me at verse 6. It says this, Now, but now, which are great words, we are released from the law. There's the language of being freed. We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. I love that last verse. It is it, That verse, uh, we no longer serve in the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit, is also quoted in Romans 2 and 2 Corinthians 3. It is an intimate part of the idea of Scripture. And the idea is this, you cannot truly serve God even using his law without being changed in the power of the Holy Spirit and by God's grace. We no longer, we naturally resist God's law, but Christ changes us so we'll pursue his will in the law. This is very important. We have to come to grips with the question of what your relationship with the law is today. Are you bound under its power or guilt? Or are you running from your own conscience to license? You know, sometimes when we're bound by guilt, we're legalists. And we're trying to keep doing the right thing over and over again without Christ. Sometimes we run to license. You know why we run to license? Because of despair. We've tried to obey the law. We tried to do the right thing. And it didn't come through the way we expected so we just give up. Say, what does it matter? Paul is saying in our text today, you can live with power in your life, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit. That Christ puts the Holy Spirit in us and fills us to tame our souls so that we can actually follow Him in the obedience that comes from faith 
not the obedience that comes from trying harder. Let me remind you what major differences there are of living under the written code versus living in the Spirit. Remember these things. With the letter of the law, you get the rules. With the Spirit, you get a person, God's presence. With the letter, you get justice. With the Spirit, you get grace. Justice is what you deserve and what I deserve. Grace is a gift that's the opposite of what we deserve. With the letter, your focus in spirituality is living from the outside in, performance religion. With the Spirit, your life is inside out in transformation. With the letter, you find yourself coming up with spiritual formulas. If I just do this, this, and this, and I'll be okay. Uh, by the way, in our age, in America, it's the next big spiritual experience, the next big study, the next big this or that. And you end up trying harder and harder. But with the Spirit, you find living relationship with Christ by faith where you are empowered to actually follow Him. With the letter, you live in a life script of this. I obey Therefore, I am loved. In the Spirit, you live the life script of I am loved through Christ's death on the cross. Therefore, I obey. With the letter, all you have left is guilt and condemnation. But with the Spirit, you have forgiveness. You have the presence of God and a new lease on life. Where do you live? Which one of these do you live in? Very important that you think about this. Because Paul today is calling us to look to Christ. It's pretty obvious to us which one is abundant and eternal life in Christ and which one sucks the life out of you. Are you tired of following Jesus? It may not be because of Jesus. Are you weary of life and working so hard? That may not have anything to do with God. It might be what you are doing in your heart with God's law. Do you not know? Christ has loved us till death on the cross so that we no longer live in the old way of the written code. But now we live in the new way of the Holy Spirit living within. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you and admit to you that this living that we're talking about seems very strange to us. We want to live in grace, but it's so easy to fall under the letter. And we ask you, Jesus, to give us hearts to know that the law is ultimately not our home. You are. And beginning with you in relationship with you, we then can live lives that can be empowered to obey and follow faithfully. Lord, we need this help. In an age where formulas are near and dear to our hearts, 
please lead us to relationship with you. Jesus, please call us to a kind of living that is in the power of the Spirit and not in the written code. We ask that in Christ's name.